Good morning. Could you turn your attention to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1 and verses 40 to 45. That'll be our text for this morning and I'll read it as we begin. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come now and pray that in your mercy you would allow us to hear the voice of your Son. Lord Jesus, you are the great prophet of your church, so speak now to your people. Speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit in the depths of our heart. Encourage us, challenge us, warm our cold souls, we pray. For we ask in our Saviour's name. Amen. Uh, it is an honour, a privilege to be among you this morning. To be an Englishman in America is a somewhat strange thing. We feel very much at home, but every now and again we realise we're very much away from home. And it is the similarities that unsettle us. On Friday morning, I woke up on Lookout Mountain and headed for breakfast at the little hotel. And a lovely lady offered me breakfast. Would you like, she said, a chicken biscuit with jam? Now, in English English, a biscuit is what you call a cookie. And what you call jelly, sorry, she offered me chicken biscuit with jelly. What you call jelly, we think is jam. In other words, what I heard was, would you like a chicken-flavoured cookie with some jello on it? <laughs> and I did not want that. <laughs> we seem very different at times. But in all honesty, whether we're in Leeds, in the north of England, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Delhi, Mombasa, Beijing, Tokyo. We are all human beings made in the image of God and underneath the superficial differences of language and skin colour, we ask the same questions. The same questions haunt us. And one of those questions is the question that haunts the man who comes to Jesus in our passage today. That's where I want to start, by asking, looking at a haunting question. A haunting question. And that question is very simple. Will God accept me? 
Will God really accept me? We know from the book of Romans that there are no human beings ultimately who are atheists. All human beings know God, Paul tells us. It is not that we're ignorant, that we never knew there was a God. It's that we all know there is a God and suppress that truth. Children, have you ever been in a swimming pool with a a beach ball and try to push it under the water and it, it pops up here, there and everywhere? What we human beings, Paul tells us in that letter to the Romans, are like that with our knowledge of God, naturally, before the work of the Spirit in our hearts. We are desperately trying to suppress, to keep down, to deny to our very selves that God is there. And yet that knowledge is implanted within us. We cannot escape it. And so the question nags all of us. Will God really accept us? Now I know this morning... I'm speaking to a church who have been well taught in the doctrines of grace, well versed in the gospel. But I know too because you are human beings like all others and because you are believers like all other believers. That that question fueled by the evil one whispering in our ears can still nag away. Am I really safe? Am I really at peace? Uh, This man came to Jesus and he came as a leper. A leper came to Jesus, verse 40, imploring him. In the religious system of the day, you'll know, no doubt, and you will have picked up from our Old Testament reading that to be a leper, to have this skin disease, was to be an outcast. No living at home with mom and dad. No living in the village at all, in fact. Driven out into the desolate places, to live alone. No gathering for corporate worship in the synagogue. No entering into the temple courts for worship at the great feasts and festivals of Israel. All this man had known in the street, in the synagogue, even at home, was rejection. And hence his question to Jesus Verse 40, if you will, you can make me clean. If you are willing. He doesn't doubt Jesus' power, does he? You can make me clean. That is a statement of faith. He is not one who has mocked Jesus. He is not one who doubts the power of He is a man who knows that God is on earth, that God incarnate, God in the flesh is walking the streets of Israel. But he has still that haunting question, the nagging doubt, are you willing? How will Jesus respond to me with my uncleanliness? The power is there. But he doubts the love, the compassion, the welcome. And we're not so different to this man. 
Uh, this man was ceremonially unclean. Now, it's worth saying that there was nothing morally wrong with being ceremonially unclean. Uh, sometimes you'll get those wanting to mock the Christian faith who will get hold of passages like the one we had read from Leviticus and say, look at this God who finds skin diseases so repulsive, so repugnant to him. What kind of monster of a God would he be to reject people because of medical conditions? But that's to misunderstand what is going on. In the Old Testament worship system, there was a category of uncleanliness that was ceremonial but had no moral stain attached to it. Various things could make you ceremonially unclean. Primarily, bodily emissions, blood and, well, I'll leave it there, or touching a dead body. What's the link? The link is with death. To touch a dead body meant you became ceremonially unclean. Death, as it were, had come into contact with you and you could not approach the God of life. Or, or if stuff came out of you, oozed out of you, it was like the life leaving you pictorially. Again, there's nothing morally wrong with it. To be unclean ceremonially is not the same as to be sinful in the Old Testament system. We know that because at times you are commanded to become unclean. If your father dies, you must attend to the body. There are various necessary human practices that mean fluids will leave you and you will become unclean. They are commanded in scripture. God would never command sin. So this man, this leper, he is ceremonially unclean because of his skin disease. But of course, the reason for this whole system was that there is a deeper, a truer uncleanliness that affects not those with bodily disorders, but all human beings. That is the moral uncleanliness of sin. Children, remember, it's stuff in you that comes out in the Old Testament system that makes you unclean. Blood coming out of you or your skin sort of oozing pus. Jesus says, and goes on to say in Mark's gospel, in fact, in Mark chapter 7, that it's what comes out of a person that defiles him, makes him unclean. For from within comes, and he doesn't go on to list blood and pus, but from within, Mark 7, 21, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they make a person unclean. That is the real problem, says Jesus. And therefore the leper is a picture of us. We may not have skin diseases and if we do, then there is no longer any ceremonial uncleanliness unclean cleanliness to keep us from the house of God all that has passed away with the coming of the new covenant but we have 
we have the same problem of uncleanliness within oozing out of us. Do you hear yourself on that list? Evil thoughts, envy, slander, coveting, wickedness. Jesus knows what is on the inside. The leper is you. The leper is me. And hence again, that haunting fear. What will it actually be like to meet God on the last day? To stand before the judgment throne with a heart like mine? Oh, I can tidy myself up on a Sunday, cover over the the pus, as it were, in order that no one else in the pew knows what I'm like. The tie, the dress, the makeup, the Geneva gown. We can kid one another, but we don't kid ourselves and we know we don't kid God. And so we fear, what will it be like to meet God? Typically, that drives human beings in two directions. Perhaps if you're new to church this morning, you're new to the gospel, new to the Christian faith, you might reckon yourself, recognize yourself here. Our tactics are to distract or deny distraction we we keep so busy endless noise we watch television put on Netflix one episode ends and the little counter is going you've got eight seconds and then bang the next one's on Uh, Peter Kreef who I think is an American professor has pointed out that as the 20th century and the 21st century go on and our gadgets get cleverer These time-saving machines fill our homes. We're no less busy than our parents and grandparents. He says this. The problem is we want to complexify our lives. We don't have to. We want to. We want to be harried and hassled and busy. Unconsciously, the very things we complain about, we want. For if we had leisure, leisure, We would look at ourselves and listen to our hearts and see the great gaping hole and be terrified because that hole is so big that nothing but God can fill it. Can I ask you if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian this morning? Does that describe you? But can I ask you, if you are a believer, does it not also to some extent describe you? Although we're free from the guilt, the penalty of sin, the presence of sin remains. And the nagging voice speaks away. Don't slow down, don't stop, don't look at the state of your soul before a holy and majestic God. Do not dare stop and look. Do not look behind the curtain. And so we distract, distract, distract. And of course, in one sense, we're quite right to fear. We open our service singing, holy, holy, holy. Even the seraphim, the cherubim, these mighty beings veil their eyes before the glory of God. We have no idea 
how pure and glorious he is. And we come leprous pussy with our hearts full of sin. In one sense, of course, we ought to fear. Judgment ought to terrify us. But just look what happens. A haunting question is met with, secondly, a tender welcome. A tender welcome. If you are willing, you can make me clean. How does Jesus respond? And children, remember, this is Jesus who is God himself. There is no scary, different God hiding behind Jesus, as if Jesus is nice and compassionate, and there is a God with a totally different character hiding up in heaven. Uh, an English chaplain at one of our universities said he used to welcome the students uh, at the beginning of each year, each, each fall, I'm getting the hang of this, each autumn. And most UK students arriving at college, arriving at university would never have been to church, never met a, a minister, a pastor. In my own state of Yorkshire, which is the largest state in England, largest county we would call it, 0.7% of people go to church once a month. And that is any church, Roman Catholic through to the wildest Pentecostal church, 0.7% once a month. Evangelical church attendance, about 0.3% once a month. So most of these kids arrive at college with, with no idea of the gospel, no idea of the Christian faith. And this chaplain who, being a Church of England minister, would wear a dog collar, would stand out. He says you'd meet these 18-year-old these, these boys and girls and, and straight away they'd be, they'd be embarrassed. He'd offer to help them with their luggage or show them to their room. and Eventually, they, they almost inevitably will say, I, I, I'm actually, I, I'm not very religious. And he, he, said, he would say to them, ah, what, what, what do you mean? And they don't know what they mean, but they stumble around and almost invariably they end up saying, I, I don't believe in God. And he says, he always said the same thing to them. Tell me what God you don't believe in. And that would really confuse them. <laughs> they would stumble out all sorts of answers. Well, you know, the one with the beard who lives on the cloud. <laughs> the, 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 the one with lightning bolts. The one who's sort of a vapor everywhere. Or, and he would listen and nod and say, well, that's great. I don't believe in that God either. But let me tell you about Jesus. And as he does so, he is, of course, telling them about God. So as we meet the reaction of Jesus, we are seeing the reaction of God to the leprous, God to the sinful, God to the corrupt. And just look what he does and look what he says. His words first. The question, are you willing? His answer, I am willing, verse 41. I will. Those are good words to hear this morning. If you crept into the sanctuary, uh, if you fear as the service begins and we are called to worship, do you hear the God of all creation speak those words? 
I am willing. I am willing, in other words, to cleanse, to forgive, to welcome. Not just his words, but his actions. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Here is a man who has not been touched for years. To touch a leper was to become unclean ceremonially yourself. Everyone who had drawn near to this leper in his life would have drawn back, but God draws towards him. Jesus draws near, reaches out. The leper didn't dare stretch out his hands towards Jesus, the Holy One. But Jesus, the Holy One, stretched out his hands to the leper. His words, his action. And there's a third comfort there in verse 41. It's the comfort of his heart, his, his emotions, we might say, moved with pity, with compassion. It's a strange Greek word, but it's a brilliant one because it's, it's a word about our bowels, children, our stomach. Now, we in the West talk about feelings in our heart, don't we? I love you from the bottom of my heart. But you know when you get a strong feeling, be it love, be it fear, be it excitement, you know you feel it in your, in your stomach, don't you? Children, do you know that feeling? That, that is the word being described here. It's a feeling about the guts. In his guts, Jesus had compassion, pity towards this broken man. The heart of Christ is to feel compassion towards sinners. That is not to deny that he is also at the same time the holy, holy, holy God who hates sin. We are not forced to choose either or. Safety is not found in denying the holiness of God or the wickedness of sin. Safety is found in acknowledging it but coming to the God who is mightily holy but mightily compassionate. If we'd read from the beginning of Mark's gospel, time and again we would have been reminded of the holiness of Jesus. Mark 1 and verse 24, the demons cry out before Jesus. What have you to do with this Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons see it. John the Baptist in chapter 1 and verse 7 has fallen before him and said, I'm not worthy to tie up your sandals. That's John the Baptist. Mark has introduced his gospel by quoting from Isaiah and Malachi, make way for Yahweh. A passage in the Old Testament that was all about the great day when Yahweh, the great God of Israel, would come. And Mark applies it to Jesus. Jesus is here, the Holy One is here, and he is here with compassion. The wonder of the gospel is not found by toning down the character of Jesus, the character of God, the holiness of God, but by seeing the blazing purity of his holiness and at the same time the immense waves of compassion and love towards sinners like us. Jesus says this morning to you, Come and welcome. Come and welcome. 
Look what happens. At Jesus' touch in verse 42, the leper becomes clean. Immediately, we read, immediately the leprosy left and he was made clean. But something else happens. Do you notice? Strange in this passage. Well, two strange things happens. First of all, Jesus asks the man not to go and tell everybody about what has happened. That confuses us. Surely, surely here's a miracle for everybody to hear about. I think what is going on is that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he doesn't want to become simply a healer, simply a kind of sideshow magician. For now, for now, his call is to preach the good news, to move on, to gather. In fact, when the disciples tell him in the same chapter that crowds are coming for healing, he says, we must move on because I've come to preach. But there's a second strange thing that happens and it's a beautiful thing. Remember how the story began, the leper, unclean and outclassed, out in the desolate places, unable to come near the people. And as this leper who's cleansed goes out and in disobedience to Jesus, talks freely, verse 45, uh, about his healing and to spread the news. What happens to Jesus? Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. Children, do you see what's happened? There's been a switch. We began with a leper out in the desert, isolated, unable to come into a town, and Jesus in the crowd. By the end, because of the healing, because of the cleansing, they have switched places. It is brilliantly pointing forward, of course, to the great cleansing. When Jesus, the Holy Son of God, who has become man, become one of us, will swap places with us. And he would be driven out, taken outside the city, taken to Golgotha, lifted up between heaven and earth, and rejected, as it were, by both, spurned by men and even the Father. Even Jesus, his God, blotting out the Son, pouring his wrath on the Messiah. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. There is the safety for lepers like you and me, that we have a God who would swap places with us and be treated as a leper, would have our leprosy, our pus, our sinful record attributed to him in order that he might bear all the consequences and we might be free. What held him to the cross? Not nails. Nails don't hold God to anything. Our sin, not really. Not really. There was no necessity on God to save. No necessity on Jesus to die for us. It is not his job in any kind of deeply necessary way. But it was his wish, the wish of our God, Father, Son and Spirit, to rescue. What held him to the cross was compassion, was this pity for the leprous pity and compassion and love for you and me. 
And so can I ask, do you know that compassion and pity and love? He says to you this morning, the Lord Jesus says to you, come and welcome whoever you are, whatever you've done. You don't need to cleanse yourself to be clean before you come. In fact, come dirty. Come with your sinful heart and I will forgive. I have a friend who's a missionary surgeon in Madagascar and he wrote to me a couple of months back. One of the tragedies that they face is that in an area of the country with virtually no medical aid, there are hundreds and hundreds of women who will suffer complications to do with childbirth. And they will suffer. He wrote to me, he just treated a woman who'd been suffering for 20 years who hadn't come to the hospital because she was too ashamed, parts of the body that she didn't want to talk about. She feared rejection. She feared if she came to the hospital with those problems that they would turn her away. She feared that those medical problems would show what she was really like, would humiliate her, that she'd be met with scorn and derision and contempt. And Ted, my friend, said it's tragic because there is healing so easily available. That's what we're like, isn't it? We need to come empty-handed. We fear we'll be turned away, but we can come empty-handed. Adam, when he knew he had sinned, hid in the bush. A futile strategy. <laughs> How do you hide from an all-knowing, all-present God? That's our madness. What will get Adam out of the bush? Not just the law that tells him he's done wrong. He knows that. What get Adam out of the bush is the knowledge that the welcome he will receive is one of forgiveness and mercy. Our sins are many, John Newton wrote. His mercies are more. Our sins are great, but his righteousness is greater. We are weak, but he is power. And he went on in that letter, a letter that's been turned into a song recently. He went on to say to his friend who was struggling with assurance, a friend who was a Christian, but, but just feared he went on to say this, most of our complaints are owing to unbelief and the remainder of a legal spirit. And these evils are not removed in a day. Most of our fears as Christians, says Newton, are because we have this legal spirit. We think in some way we have to do something, tidy ourselves up in some way before coming to God. And that is not removed in a day. That is a brilliant insight from Newton. We think we become a Christian and from then onwards the gospel, well, that was the doorway that got me in but, but I can leave that behind. No, says Newton, every day for years upon years you need to remind yourself, Sabbath by Sabbath, you need to come and be reminded of the sheer grace of God to sinners. That you come empty-handed, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I, I cling. Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Not the strength of your repentance, not the fervor of your zeal against sin, but the pure, gracious love of God in Christ is your hope and your welcome. 
So no need to hang back. No need to fear. No need to ask the question, are you willing? Come to him. Come to him in prayer, confident. He delights to hear you. Come to him in assured faith. With not 1% of your assurance resting on yourself or your performance, but all on his character, his compassion, his love, and his mercy. If you'll pardon the quote from one last Brit. Beloved, nothing shall take the love of Christ from you. It does not ebb and flow with the ebbing and flowing of your feelings. It does not chill with the chilling of your affections. It does not change with the changing scenes and circumstances of your life. The love of Christ has depths we cannot sound, heights we cannot explore, an infinite fullness and freeness, tiding over all the sins and infirmities and sorrows of its blessed objects. Do not limit your heart's experience of the love, the welcome of Christ. I've been told that the English accent is meant to sound intelligent in the USA. If it does, it's a trick. (laughs) So from a couple of thousand miles away in England, let me simply say what I imagine your pastors say to you week by week, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, your son is good news And in his name alone, his righteousness alone, on account of his mercy and grace and love alone, we pray that you would assure our hearts, let them bask in the depths of the oceans of your love. Drive out anxious fear. Drive out any self-reliance. And allow us, we pray, to know the wonder of your love for us in the gospel of Christ. In his name we ask. Amen.